Well, thank you, Pastor, for that warm welcome. Um, I remember when I was here before, I had a question. Um, who's your hairdresser? <laughs> because I, I think I need him myself. If I, can, if, if I can look like you, maybe I'll have some of your anointing. It's my third visit, thrilled to be here. It's, it's my honor. Um, but you know, you remind me of a friend of mine from Texas who was introduced to this sales gathering as the man from Kentucky who had made $200 million in bourbon. And when the my friend heard the introduction, he panicked. He thought, what am I going to do? Well, he said to himself, there's only one thing to do, and that's stand up and tell these people the truth. He said, first of all, folks, one or two intro, uh, uh, discrepancies in my introduction. Uh, I'm not from Texas. I'm from Kentucky. And the money was not in oil. It was in bourbon. The figure was not $200 million dollars. It was $200,000. And it wasn't me, it was my brother. <laughs> and he didn't make it, he lost it. <laughs> but thank you, Pastor, for the warm welcome. I'm thrilled to be back. Um, I did some, bring some books. My son, T.R., I think is, is looking after them. Uh, when I first came, I preached on total forgiveness and my publishers come up with a short version. This is for the person who's very busy. 40 days to total forgiveness. And you can read just two or three pages each day. And uh, this is probably my best-selling book, uh, life-changing book. Uh, but just a year ago, I came out with a book uh, forward by Ricky Skaggs, who's on my board. We, live, we now live in Nashville. It's a book, More of God. Uh, many people want more from God. They want things from Him. Uh, but this is about having more of Him. And it is a life-changing book. And I trust that this will be a blessing to you. We're selling everything at cost, not here to make money. Uh, two years ago, on the 500th anniversary of the Great Reformation, um, I wrote the book, Whatever Happened to the Gospel. Um, and uh, I was flown over to Wittenberg, Germany, by my publisher, and um, the highlight of my life was to stand at the very spot where Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses. And uh, uh, if I had no other book to survive, and Jesus tarries, and 50 years from now, 100 years from now, the book that I would want to be remembered by is this. And as it happens, uh, I think that's what I will preach on uh, now. I uh, was willing to change right up to the last minute because I'm here uh, to be a blessing. So would you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I will read verses 16 17, 18. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus upon your people, upon myself, for cleansing, for hearing your word clearly, that there are no misunderstanding. Help me to be very, very simple, very, very clear. I ask that this would be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. When Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says it's the power of God for salvation. Uh, There would be those, and I don't want to be hard on them, but I think they would say they're not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for healing. Well, the Apostle Paul certainly believed in healing, but that's not what he said. There would be those, and I can understand why they would say it, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for signs and wonders. Paul believed in signs and wonders. In fact, he actually says so toward the end in chapter 15. He refers to signs and wonders. He was a great believer in healing and signs and wonders, but that's not what he says. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, just the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. Because, believe it or not, you can be healed and go to hell. You can see signs and wonders and be an object of that and be eternally lost. And so this is a letter that Paul wrote. It's probably his greatest epistle. And he puts the word like this so that there'll be no doubt what really matters. It's the power of God for salvation. And I want to put a question to you now, two questions actually. Uh, Imagine that uh, you were given a sheet of paper as you came in today. Uh, go along with me. You've got a sheet of paper, paper in front of you and a pen. Uh, question number one, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? Question number two, if you were to stand before God, you will, and he were to ask you, and he might, Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say?
And suppose you're there and there's no one to coach you or whisper the answer, but it's the real thing. And he were to ask you that, and your answer will determine whether you go to heaven or to hell. What would your answer be? On that piece of paper in front of you, write down what you would say to God if he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, Paul now wants us to know, which is probably his greatest epistle, his epistle to the Romans. Uh, He hoped to go there one day. Uh, And what he does is write this letter so it'll get there before he arrives so they will know exactly what he believes. And that's why he wrote this epistle. He hoped to go there personally. And so he comes at the beginning and says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He might have said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the kingdom. Paul believed in the kingdom. But that's not what he says. Uh, We're living in a time when there are those who stress the kingdom. And by the kingdom, they mean, as I understand it, because these are friends of mine, they're talking about signs and wonders, and I believe in signs and wonders, and Paul believed in signs and wonders. But that's not what he says. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. Because at the end of the day, all that matters is where will you be 100 years from now? A number of years ago, I was honored to to meet Yasser Arafat, and that was my question to him. I said, Ra'is, the question is not whether you get Jerusalem or the Israelis get Jerusalem, but where will you be? 100 years from now. I thought he was going to throw me out, but uh, I stayed 45 minutes, and he begged me to come back. I visited him five times. I was all ready to meet him a sixth time and take my wife over and celebrate her 70th and his 75th birthday together. And he was poisoned just a couple weeks before I was been there. The question is, where will you be 100 years from now? And as I anticipated this, my third visit to you, maybe I'll be invited back, I hope so. I love coming here. I love your pastor. He and I get on very, very well. But I ask myself, what if I never see you again? I'm 84 years old, my physician says, I'll live into my 90s, I hope he's right. But all I know is that I felt I was to speak to you today as though I would never see you again. So I'm asking you, what would you say to God if he said to you, why should I let you in? And there's only one answer. Well now, when Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel, He puts it like this, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And he says, from faith to faith. This is an interesting phrase. And I find that most people don't know what it means. In fact, some versions say it uh, is the gospel from first to last. 
I think the NIV says that. That doesn't tell you anything. Whatever does he mean, the gospel is revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Well, it's very easy to find out. Just look for that phrase again when Paul uses it. And he does so in chapter 3 when he says the righteousness of God is revealed. And he puts it like this. Um, to show the righteousness of God at the present time. In verse 22, the righteousness of God through the faith. And the Greek reads, through the faith of Jesus Christ. That's the literal translation. To all who believe. In other words, the, first, the faith of Jesus. Whatever is that? Well, Jesus had a perfect faith. Uh, he became our substitute in every way. Our, he was uh, circumcised the eighth day according to the law, and his parents kept the law for him until he became of age. And then uh, he was uh, living the perfect life. He was even baptized for us at the age of 30. Uh, he's standing in the queue to be baptized by John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist sees him, he says, oh, you baptized me. No, Jesus said, you baptized me to fulfill righteousness. What did he mean by that? That's because Jesus not only kept the law for you, he was baptized for you. This is why you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. He, once you put your faith in Jesus... His righteousness is put to your credit. And you get it. When you get him, he was baptized for you. You say, well, then why be baptized? Well, to show you're unashamed. And you identify with him. And so you should follow the Lord in baptism. He kept the law for you. I mean, in thought, word, and deed. 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours a day. Jesus never sinned. When he said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, I've come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. It was the most stupendous statement he ever made. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the most stupendous statement Jesus ever made. Matthew 5, 17, I will fulfill the law. Nobody had ever done that before. Everybody had come short, but Jesus fulfilled it. So that when he died on the cross, seconds before he died, he could utter those words, tetelestai. It is finished. The word tetelestai was a colloquial expression in the ancient marketplace that meant paid in full. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid your debt, a debt you cannot pay. He paid it. And the reason we know we will go to heaven is because of the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ and satisfying the wrath of God, the justice of God. And he fulfilled the law perfectly for us. And so the way we know we get to heaven is when we give up any hope in our own righteousness and transfer the trust that we had in our good works to what Jesus did for us on the cross. And this is the way you are saved. So when he says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, what it means is that Jesus kept the law perfectly. He never sinned and he believed perfectly. And so when the faith of Jesus is matched by our faith, 
That is the way we are saved. Now, Paul could have said that the righteousness of God is revealed by uh, the faith of Jesus, and if that were the way he put it, then everybody would be saved because Jesus died for everybody. But why did he say the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith? It's because our faith is what ratifies his faith. And if we don't believe, we will be lost. And so it is not enough that he died for you. You must come to the place that you yourself give up any hope in your own righteousness and recognize you've sinned. And if, when I asked the question a while ago, and you imagine a sheet of paper in front of you, if you wrote down anything other than saying, because of the blood of Jesus, dear friend, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world, but that can all change. And I believe that I've come here today to present this for maybe one person who up to now, you sincerely believe that you get in through the pearly gates by your own efforts and your own works. And I've come today as if I would never preach to you again and give you this word, how you can know beyond any doubt that you will go to heaven when you die. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, there are those who are. They don't want to preach only the gospel. They want to embellish it. Uh, they want to talk about the gospel of the kingdom. Well, Paul believed in the kingdom. But that's not what he says here. He talks about the kingdom later on, but he's talking about the gospel. Why God sent his son into the world to die on a cross for our sins. You need to know that Jesus was our substitute. He lived the perfect life. He never sinned in thought, word, deed. And for 32 years, 33 years, he lived without ever sinning in thought, word, and deed. So that when we transfer the trust that we had in our good works to what Jesus did for us on the cross, that's what Paul means. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. His faith ratified by our faith. And that's why he could go on to say the righteous will live by faith. And that's a quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 where the Hebrew reads, the righteous will live by his faithfulness. In other words, God's faithfulness. And Jesus was faithful for us. And so he lived the life of perfect life, for perfect faith. That's why in Galatians 2.20, in the King James Version, translation of the Greek, word for word, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Living by his faith, I find that my faith can get so weak. And I think, Lord, I just can't go on. I, I, I need strength. But he says not to worry. Jesus lived the perfect life. And even at the right hand of God, he is there interceding for us. And there are times when I think, Lord, my faith is so weak. But I'm so glad at the right hand of the Father is Jesus interceding, not 
with any unbelief whatever, but with a perfect faith. And I live by His faith, and it takes the pressure off me when I have those times when I doubt or struggle, and I think, Lord, I'm not worthy to be called by your name. But he says not to worry. Jesus lived the perfect life, and the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And that reason, we can quote Habakkuk, we live by his faithfulness. But then Paul adds another word. And it's the little Greek word gar. The NIV doesn't even include it. I don't know why. But it says for. It means because. Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so... Why should you be a Christian? I wonder if we passed out slips of paper and uh, I asked you to write on that slip of paper or on the one you've already got. Uh, uh, you've asked, I've asked the question, why do you think God would let you in? And I hope you answered it. Turn it over and now on this side, put as your answer to the question, um, why should people be saved? Uh, do you think that your neighbor should be saved? Uh, do you think people should be saved? Why? Why? And if we, your answers came up and we looked at them, uh, someone would say, well, you're going to be happier. Really? You'll be happier if you're a Christian? The first person I baptized at Westminster Chapel many years ago was a man by the name of J. Michaels. And if you think for a moment, you have heard his son many times on television, Al Michaels, the sportscaster. That's J. Michaels' son. Well, J. Michaels, a Los Angeles Jew, uh, was on his way to Moscow, but he had a London office. And his secretary invited him to come to hear me preach at Westminster Chapel. And uh, I didn't know about it for months. But he was there. And I don't remember what I preached on, but found out later he was saved that night. And uh, J. Michaels and I became friends. Uh, I took him bone fishing in the Florida Keys. He would take me out to dinner. We, we were great friends. And... Uh, and then he died and went to heaven. Uh, sadly, he couldn't convert his wife and his son, J. Michaels. Uh, as far as I know, I've tried to reach him. Uh, I didn't want to know about his father's uh, new faith. But the thing is, it's what changed his life. And when I baptized him, he was the first person I baptized at Westminster Chapel. The courage it took for this man who, who uh, was uh, uh, involved in uh, Wimbledon tennis and uh, he got me seats at, in Wimbledon for the center court and we became very close friends. Uh, but I asked him one day, uh, tell me, what has Christianity done for you? Well, 
He says, the truth is, uh, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> That's what he means. He says, well, I've lost my family. Uh, I've lost my friends. And uh, he went on to talk about the things that have happened since he's been a Christian. He wasn't complaining. He was just stating a fact that what it's done for me, he said, here are his words. You know, I don't know that this would make a good testimony. But he says, before I became a Christian, I was a happy man. <laughs> Those were his very words. But he's not complaining. You see, there are those who think if they become Christians, they're going to be happy. Or it's going to solve your problems. So what would you say on a sheet of paper? Why be a Christian? Or what has Christianity done for you? And you say it's going to solve your marriage? Really? Did you know statistics are on both sides of the Atlantic, roughly this, that 50% of those that are married in a registry office or in a court or in a lawyer's office and those married in a church, it's about 50%. Those who are married by a lawyer or a judge, the casualty rate is about 50%. Those who are married in a church, you think that would cause, make a difference? No, still about 50%. And so you can't say Christianity is going to solve your marriage. You can't say it's because it's going to make you happy. Do you know what Paul says? I wonder if this will surprise you. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why be a Christian? Paul's answer, because of the wrath of God. Now, I want to be fair. That's not the only way a person becomes a Christian. What I mean by that is God can use various ways to reach a person. Paul talks about being all things to all men, that by any means I can save some. Uh, Peter says to the wives to live godly lives so that you can win your husband. So there can be other motives. But at the end of the day, the reason you should become a Christian is because of the wrath of God. The earliest message of the New Testament, opening message, Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. You would have thought a message like that would cause everybody to laugh their heads off. But do you know what? They came from everywhere to hear John. They came all the way from Jerusalem, some on camels, some walked. They wanted to hear this message. And the message, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Has anybody warned you? Do you realize at the end of a life that is without Jesus Christ is eternal punishment in hell? This is not my idea. If God had lifted up to me, I'd save everybody. But for reasons I don't understand, God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. This was the message of John the Baptist Instead of it running everybody off, it had them coming. They wanted more. We're living in a time when 
it seems the idea of the wrath of God is alien, alien. People wouldn't understand. And this is why God sent his son. Listen to John 3.16. Martin Luther called it the Bible in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. What's that? It means not go to hell. The Bible in a nutshell. This is why he died. You say, well, I'm a Christian because of what it's done for me. I can believe that. There are those who can testify, oh, my life has changed. I've never been so happy. Thank God for people like that. Uh, Would you like to hear Paul's testimony, by the way? What it's done for him? Uh, Well, there's two places. You can read it in 1 Corinthians 4. I've just chosen here 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, Here's uh, what Paul said, the heading, what Christianity has done for me. Are you ready? Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one, that's 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Oh, three times I was shipwrecked. Oh, Paul, I want to become a Christian. No, I want to sign up. Where do I sign up? Well, there's more, says Paul. I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I drift at sea. Oh, this is wonderful. I want to become a Christian right now. Well, there's more. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. Oh, Paul, I can't wait to be saved. Oh, there's more. Danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He goes on and on. This is what Christianity has done for him. Why be a Christian? Years ago, when I was pastor of Lauderdale Manors Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale, we invited the local black pastor, uh, Mount Olive Baptist Church, six blocks away from Lauderdale Manors, to preach in an evening service. We had a combined service. He brought his people. We had ice cream social afterwards. But I'll never forget the night that black pastor preached before us. It was the time when there were beginning to be more riots and racial tension. And he preached on heaven And I can never forget him saying, don't take heaven from me. Don't take heaven from me. So many of those that were into uh, racist tensions, and they were talking about Christianity, the here and now, what it does for you, as if there's no heaven. And this pastor said, don't take heaven from me, because that's what it's all about. The question is, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven. Eternity lasts a long time. And all that matters is where will you be 100 years from now? And so, yes, thank God for those testimonies. And I could add mine, what Christianity has done for me. 
I wouldn't take anything for how good God has been to me, but I could tell you a lot that's happened. I've never suffered so much as I have the closer I try to get to God. He wants to find out, RT, are you sure you really want as much of me as you can get? And he puts me through tests. And maybe you're going through a test right now. And you think, what's it all for? Why am I going through this? I've been put through the fire. But listen, it's only a matter of time. We're going to be on the other side. And what matters is whether you're saved, that your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. And the question is, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Many years ago, it was July the 8th, 19, sorry, 1741, some 250 years ago, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's what the publisher gave it to a tract. It wasn't Edwards' title, but the publisher put it. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But in that sermon, which he preached that day in Enfield, Connecticut, my wife and I have made four trips to Enfield, Connecticut. And I go and I just stay maybe 10, 15 minutes. And I pray. Sometimes I get on my knees right beside a stone that says, on this site, July 8th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached his sermon, Sin is in the Hands of an Angry God. It was a sermon that lives in infamy. As he preached, people began to groan. And he talked about how you are being held over the pit of hell by a slender thread. And that the death angels waiting to sever that thread. And you would fall into hell. And he was given such power, and yet he read his sermon. He didn't shout and yell or raise his voice like I do. He just preached in a monotone. The Holy Spirit applied it. People began to groan so much so that Edwards asked them to, to be quiet so he could finish. But his exhortation didn't work. And by the time he finished, people were actually holding on to church pews to keep from falling into hell. They were sitting outside holding on to tree trunks to keep from sliding into hell. Power of God came. A sermon that lives in infamy went all over New England in days. It crossed the Atlantic in weeks. It was the high water mark of the great awakening that gave America her soul. And by the way, Edwards preached the same sermon, sermon two weeks later in Massachusetts with no effect at all. God only did it once. Just to give you a taste. And people never forgot it. How real it is. And so, why be a Christian? And Paul gives the answer. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed. The good news is, while Jesus was on the cross 
At some time between 12 o'clock noon and 3 o'clock, the sun refused to shine. Darkness covered the earth. It was in that moment that he who knew no sin was made sin. And Jesus cried out, Aloy, Aloy, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the moment when the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And for those who recognize that we get to heaven not by how good we are or turning over a new leaf, but transferring the trust that you had in your good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross, it means that you won't go to hell. The wrath of God was satisfied by the blood of Jesus. And I have to close now, but let me ask you a question. When I began this sermon, I asked the question, what would you say to God if he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Be honest. At that moment, what came to your mind? What you would have written on that sheet of paper? Uh, you want to pass all those sheets to the end of the row and somebody pick them up and bring them up to me and I've got a pile of sheets of paper. Could I read some of the answers? Uh, here's one. Um, I've tried to live a good life. Believe you, but you're lost. Here's another. Uh, I was baptized. Good, but you're lost. Uh, here's another one. Uh, I've done my very best. I believe you, but you're lost. Well, here's another one. I was baptized by a Baptist preacher. <laughs> uh, you, my friend, are lost as a goose. <laughs> here's another one. I have done my very, very best, and I've even lived by the Sermon on the Mount. You're a bigger liar. Nobody can do that because we're all sinners and come short of the glory of God. Unless you wrote down on that sheet of paper these words, Jesus died for me, or the equivalent, the blood of Jesus, trusting what he did for me on the cross. Unless you wrote that down, with deepest respect, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But that can all change right now. I can give you a prayer to pray. Say it if you mean it. Don't say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. God will see you. If you wrote the wrong answer, say this. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? I think at least one person prayed that prayer. I want to know who you are. Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? Why do you ask RT? 
Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you deny me, I will deny you. But if you are not ashamed of that prayer, he said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. But if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you in the next 10 seconds just to stand up. You can say, in front of all these people, yep, right here. If you prayed that prayer, five, four, three, two, one. Just stand to your feet, you pray that prayer. Remain standing, remain standing, remain standing, remain standing. Just remain standing. Now look, what you've just done, you've shown you're not ashamed. But I want to say to you, there are two kinds of people standing. I want to be fair. There are those who've never done this before, and there are those who have done it before. Chances are you've done this before, but you wanted to be sure and that would be a case that you probably were saved before today. But if you've never before stood publicly and prayed a prayer like that, uh, happy birthday. You've just been born again. You can be seated.